Can you just thank God for God? <laughs> Can you thank God for what he's doing? I was blown away again uh, just to see what God has been doing every weekend here. And I don't know about you, but uh, it just, it excites my heart. Like, it really, really, like, fires me up. Like, I get excited because I'm seeing the Lord do things that we prayed for, that we petitioned for. We're seeing the Lord work in ways that we have desired to see him work. In. And, 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 it, and it wasn't always the case. You know, sometimes you pray. Sometimes you ask God. You say, Lord, you know, do something. Uh, Lord, we, we trust that you will have your way in the lives of your people. We trust, God, that you will have your way, Lord, in the lives of your church. And, and sometimes it's like, you know, you pray and you trust and you believe. And, and sometimes it seems like, like heaven isn't moving or heaven is, is somehow stagnant or on pause. But I can be 100% honest with you tonight and say that heaven has been loosed over this place. Amen. Heaven has been loosed over this church. And the Lord has been doing a work in us, church, that is so powerful. It's so powerful. It is so, like, mind-blowing to me to see the way he is moving in the lives of, of his people. It's so awesome to see that there's true freedom in the house of God. Amen? Can somebody praise God for freedom? Amen? It, it's so amazing to me, you know, and, and forgive me if I sound like, you know, I'm a broken record right now, but I am serious. I am, I am so in awe of what the Lord is doing. I, I spoke with Brother Prince uh, last night, and how many of you remember Brother Prince? Amen? And he's a blessed man of God. Amen? And, and, and he needs our prayers, actually. He's, the, the devil's attacking him left and right up in, in Lubbock, and trying to get into his home, and there's, there's all kinds of stuff. But, you know, how many of you know that, that uh, there's uh, the scripture that says that any door that God opens, no man can shut? Amen? And so it doesn't matter what the devil tries to do. It doesn't matter how the devil tries to distract and, and bug and, and, you know, get under our skin. God has a plan. Amen? But I was speaking to him last night, and we were talking, and and we were conversing, and, and, you know, he hasn't had internet, like, for the last couple weeks that he's been up there. And so he's like, Pastor Duke, I'm sorry, my phone, I have, like, the worst phone plan ever. And he was telling me that he's got, like, the most basic, basic phone plan. So, like, it takes his emails a while to, like, download. And so he hasn't been able to see all that the Lord is doing. But I filled him in nicely and just was sharing with him. I said, three weeks ago... Pastor didn't even get to preach because the, the Holy Spirit just took over the service. And he was like, wow, wow, to God be the glory. And I said, two weeks ago, Pastor couldn't really even preach because the, the altars were filled with the people of God worshiping and praying. And, and the Lord was just doing a work. And he was like, wow, to God be the glory. And we, we were just conversing in everything that God was doing. And then we start talking, and as our conversation continues, he brings up the verse, the kingdom of heaven advances because the violent, amen, they advance the kingdom of God by force. And I said, Prince, Prince, you don't even know what you're talking about right now, man. I said, Prince. You should have heard what pastor shared on Sunday. And he was like, oh, you know, you know, he was about to explode through the phone in the most awesome way. I, I could just hear the, the joy of the Lord in his life. But 
How many of you are shaking the tree, amen? You're shaking the tree of heaven. You're believing God now in this season for what he is doing. Take him for his word, amen? Take God for his word, church. His word is alive and it's effective, amen? His word is powerful. His word goes forth. His word is able to do things beyond our imagination that we could ever fathom or think of. His word, church, is alive, Take him for it. Take him for it and believe in such a way that what God said can be done will be done. Amen? We need to begin to believe in this way. And so I know that in my personal life and my prayer life, I have been calling upon heaven. I have been shaking heaven. I have been saying, Lord, I want what you have for us, no matter the cost. And that's a dangerous prayer. Because there's a lot of people that are unwilling to give up certain things in order to receive what God has for them. There's a lot of people that are unwilling to give up certain aspects of their life, of their lifestyle, of their character, of their relationships, of their friends, of their family, because of what God wants to do. But how many of you know that anytime you choose God, I don't care what it is. I don't care what area of your life it involves. Anytime you choose God, it's always better. It's always better than the alternative that the enemy would present you with. It's always better to choose what God has said for your life and and is promising to do through you and in you instead of just simply saying, well, you know what, God, I don't know if I'm willing to give up this. I don't know, God, if I'm willing to to release this part of my life to you. It's always better. Somebody say, it's always better. It's always better, church. And so what we have been witnessing the last, you know, several weeks, few months now, is you're not witnessing the regularly scheduled program. Some of these church services that we have been a part of, it's blowing my mind. But guess what? You haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. Right now, we are beginning to see the rumblings of heaven. We're beginning to see a movement of God in our midst. But guess what, church? You haven't seen anything yet. There is so much more that the Lord has in store for his people as we yield to him. But what you have been witnessing on Sundays, on Wednesday nights, it's not business as usual, if I can use that phrase. It's not just the norm. It's not just, you know, something that it's like, okay, well, we come to church, we sing a couple songs, they pick up the offering, they say hello to the visitors, pastor preaches a good three-point message, we all high-five each other and we leave. It has been far from that. It has been far from that because the Holy Spirit is in control. And Jesus, who is the builder of the church, is constructing things the way that he sees fit. And that is the best place that we can be in church. Amen. This is the best shift that's happened at Rock of Ages in a long time. This is the best season that you are standing in because hearts are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And people are dying to themselves. Amen. People are giving up their life and they are dying to themselves, their ways, their values, and the ways of the world. Because when revival happens... When revival begins to break out, revival awakens in our hearts, listen to me carefully, an increased awareness of the presence of God. 
an increased awareness. That is a knowledge, a foreknowing that he is here. I preached on it a few weeks ago, and I, and I talked about that verse in Job chapter 9 that says, He passes by, but you don't even see him. And he's moving in your midst, but you can't, you can't touch him. You can't feel his presence. What a shame that is for somebody that has been here the last month or so to see all that God is doing, to actually know that there is a river of God's glory flowing through this place, and yet some people are still on the beach. Some people are still on the shore going, hmm, I wonder what's happening over there. These people look like nuts. They're rolling around on the carpet. God's touching them. They're crying. They're weeping. They're shouting. They're dancing. They're running around the church. What is happening in their life? I have to encourage you and understand that the Lord is here. I'll say it again. The Lord is here. The Lord is here. He is in our midst, church. And when the Lord steps into the room, it should draw us all in awe to his presence. It should leave you speechless to say, oh, he's here. The king of glory has entered into the room. I, I have no other thing to do but to bow in his presence and worship him. But yet some people are unmoved, they're unfazed, they're, they're stiff-necked, and they just Watch him walk by. Because there's an element in their hearts where they are doubtful, they're critical. They're unwilling to move. They're unwilling to, to release themselves from themselves. They're unwilling to pray that prayer in John 3.30, less of me and more of you. And they see the Lord moving and touching so many people, but yet they themselves never got a drink. Never got a drink. Revival awakens in our hearts an increased awareness of the presence of God, a new love for God. How many of you love God? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And how many of you have, have experienced the, the renewal of the love of God in your life? Amen. That is, you're loving him in a new way. You're not just loving him like, like, like you know, you've loved him in the past, but there's, there's more depth to this relationship now. There's more depth to your love for him. It's a new love of God. It's, it's a place where you, you know that, that you know, I, I told somebody today, I said, I remember if whenever my heart is drifting, whenever my heart is kind of wandering off or, or you know, I'm distracted in my heart and in my mind, all I have to do is remember when the Lord saved me. And I'm instantly brought back to that place of brokenness and yieldedness. All I have to do is remember the first time that I felt his presence and felt his touch upon my life. Every time I remember that, I'm absolutely broken before the Lord. And I remember how unworthy I was to receive the gift of salvation. How unworthy I was to receive the, the, the love that he had for my life. The forgiveness of my sins. And all I have to do is go back to that place that Revelation talks about. To go back to my first love. But there's a new love for God in the revival atmosphere. There is a new love for God in the revival atmosphere. There is also a new hatred for sin. 
That means that the closer that you draw near to the presence of God, the things that he despises and the things that, that, that hurt and pain the heart of God, those are the very things that begin to well up in your own heart and you, you despise them too. You begin to despise the things that God despises because you know that it's, it's unholy. You know that it's unrighteous. You know that it's not pleasing to his heart. So you hear somebody com- conversate about somebody else in the church and you say, shh. Because you know that that's not the heart of God. You see something happen to somebody outside of the church and, and you see some injustice and your heart is moved. In compassion because, because all of a sudden your, your heartbeat is as his. You see the whole reason that the Lord wants you to draw near to him is because you become like him. When you draw near to him. And the very things that the Lord detests become the very things that your life detests as well. Your love wells up for the Father in a new way. But the sin that you see in the world, all of a sudden you have no tolerance for it anymore. You have no tolerance for it anymore. When before a season ago or a year ago, maybe you had one foot in and one foot out. You were were living on the fence like they say. You were a person that was lukewarm in your heart. And now all of a sudden, because the Lord is doing a work in your life, you can no longer remain lukewarm. You realize now that lukewarm is a sin. You realize now that you have to either be in and fully his or out. Fully his. There's no compromise, church. There is no compromise for the the things that the Lord is asking of our life. The fourth thing that happens in a revival atmosphere is a new hunger for his word. A new hunger for his word. All of a sudden you desire every page of this book. How many of you are a picky eater? Raise your hand if you're a picky eater. Amen, Lord, help them. Help them, Jesus. Help them, Jesus. Help them all. Help them all. I am not a picky eater. I am not a picky eater. You'd think I might have a little more pounds on my life, but I'm not a picky eater. I eat anything that they throw my way. I always tell my wife this, you know, I'm, those of you who know me, you know, I'm half white, I'm half Hispanic. I consider myself a mutt. Not a purebred, you know, dog. I'm, I'm a mutt. And mutts will eat anything. <laughs> you, you can give a mutt, you know, the you know, old rug that was out back, you know, and he'll eat it. You know, you can, you can give the, the, the mutt, you know, a, a, you know, the old pack of hot dogs that's in the back of the fridge that's growing an eye or whatever, and he'll eat it, you know. It's the purebred dog that, you know, you got you to gotta feed him just right. He's got to have everything just perfect because, oh, if he changes his diet, you know, oh, man, you better kick him out because... It's got to go to the bathroom, you know, and it's like there's something about understanding our appetite and not being picky that translates to not being picky with this meal. You know that we have, we cannot, you can be a picky eater all you want in your food life. So be it. Your spouse will probably be driven nuts by your pickiness. I'm just saying. But you cannot be a picky eater when it comes to the word of God. Amen. I said you cannot be a picky eater when it comes to the word of God. Every page of life, every written promise that God has given you, 
we must ingest. We must take in to our soul and we must receive to ourself. And so I don't know which applies to you, but at some point they all must. At some point they all must apply. A greater awareness for his presence, a new love for him, a new hatred for sin, and a new hunger for the word. Amen? Because at some point you begin to reflect and radiate and smell like the God that you've encountered. Amen? You begin to bear the fruit of the one whom you are planted in. Amen? The Bible says, remain in me and I will remain in, in you. And you will what? You will bear much fruit. Right? And so we understand that as we are planted in the Lord, we begin to reflect. We begin to show the world what it looks like to know Jesus. Amen? The world needs a lot more people that look like Jesus. Can I just say that? The world looks, it needs a lot more people from the church because it's our responsibility to look like Jesus. Amen? To live like Jesus. To love like Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, he affects your life, your behavior, your coming and going, your relationships, your words, the way that you love others, your character, and ultimately your very being. When you truly encounter him, he affects every area of your life. And deep encounters with God, they result in deep transformation and humility. Deep encounters with God result in deep transformation and humility. And sometimes deep encounters come from rock bottom moments. Sometimes those deep encounters with God come from a place of deep hurt, of deep pain, of deep sorrow, of deep bitterness. They come from that place. How many of you have ever failed God? I know we're not proud of it. I know we don't like just rejoice in the fact that we have, we have messed up and we've failed and we've backslid and we've made promises to God that we never kept. But the truth is, is we've all failed God. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Peter, the, the scripture teaches us, Peter was the one who denied Jesus. He denied Christ and he was seen with the world. And the world knew that Peter had been with Jesus, but yet he denied it. The world knew that Peter was, was, was a believer. They knew that he was the guy that was passing out the bread and the fish. They knew that he had been with Jesus, but yet Peter denied it. I want us to look at this story quickly in Luke chapter 22 and verse 56. It says, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight, which is around a fire. And she looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he says. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and says, you are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replies, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Jesus was the very man, church, that Peter had history with. He was the very one that had been walking with Jesus the last three and a half years up to this point. And so Peter knew Jesus and Jesus knew Peter. It was Peter in Luke chapter 5 who was told that Jesus tells him to let down his nets one more time after a long night of fishing. 
Did you know that Peter was a fisherman? Did you know there was actually Peter's boat that they were on? Lakeside, and Jesus walks up to the shore and says, Peter, cast your nets to the other side. I can imagine Peter was a little frustrated at this point, thinking, surely he's not telling me how to do my job. He's a carpenter, and I'm a fisherman. How many of you have ever had somebody that has nothing to do or maybe knows nothing about what it is that you know how to do, but yet they still correct you? That takes you to a place of humility real quick, doesn't it? You're like, oh, man, I'm sorry. You know, I messed up. They're teaching the computer engineer how to plug in a mouse. And we see here that he tells him to cast down his net one more time after fishing all night. But in stubborn obedience, think about this. In stubborn obedience, he obeys the Lord and he allowed him to bring in a haul of fish that nearby boats had to help him with. In stubborn obedience, Peter just listened. All right, one last time. (laughs) Throws the nets down, and the Bible says that the nets were tearing at the seams. You know, when Jesus tells you to do something, it's probably a good idea to listen. Amen? It doesn't matter how qualified you are. Amen? It doesn't matter what place you come from. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have on the wall. When he tells you to do it a certain way, it's a good idea to listen. Amen? It was Peter who encountered Jesus in Matthew 14 upon the storms of a raging sea. And he began to walk out on the water towards Jesus. And for a moment, he saw the miracle working power of the Lord. But the moment that Peter takes his eyes off Jesus, what happens? He sings. Same guy. It was Peter who received the great revelation from the Father in heaven that when Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? Some people replied, he says, you're the son of Mary and Joseph. You're a carpenter. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah or one of the prophets. But Peter, everybody say Peter. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus responds in Matthew 16, verse 17. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And yet, church, after all of these moments with Jesus, Peter fell. You can have the most powerful encounters with Jesus and still fall. That is the reality of this Christian life that you are living You can have the most powerful encounters here at the altar on a Sunday morning in a service like this. The Lord can heal your body. He can speak revelation to your mind. He can give you a confirming word through somebody's life. And yet you can still fail him. And Jesus fully knowing that he would one day, one day fail him. Jesus, fully aware that Peter would one day deny him, that he would backstab the one who would ultimately die for his sins and in his place, yet Jesus was still willing to give his life. He was still willing to give his life for this man. Somebody say, his love would not let go. Do you know that the love of God never lets you go? 
The love of God never lets you go. The powerful love of God was willing to take the pain for your promise. Amen. Some of you might not know that love because you would be like rejoicing through the roof right now. I said, do you realize the powerful love of God was willing to take the pain that brought you your promise? The willingness to lay down his life was so that you could walk in abundant life. So that you wouldn't be stuck and stagnant. You wouldn't be bound to sin. You wouldn't be enchained by addiction in the things of this world. But you could be actually free in abundant life. His desire was to spill his blood for your sins so that your sins could be atoned for. To cover the pain, the shame, the wickedness, the addiction, the disease, the unrighteousness. So that we could be clothed with power from on high. So that the glory of God could be displayed in us and through us. So these transformed lives could be a living testimony of his transformational power. You see, he died for you. He died for you. But the most powerful part about what happened in Peter's life wasn't before his failure. It was after. Whew. He was reconciled to God. He was finally brought back to that place that after he failed, he was reconciled. He was brought back into that place where his sin was no longer sin. It was washed in the blood. It was atoned for. Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, Jesus' prayer for him was this. I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, when Peter wept bitterly, surely he remembered this. Because this happened before he denied him. Surely he remembered the prayer of Jesus over his life. And this is why he wept. Because in his failure, in his shame, in his, in his weariness, the Son of God had not changed his mind about him. <laughs> in fully knowing that he had disobeyed his Lord... And fully being aware that he had denied him publicly three times. Shamefully knowing that everyone out there knew who he was. God hadn't changed his mind about him. His assignment was still sure. His calling had not been revoked. In fact, Peter's reinstatement positioned him for great boldness in the days after Jesus gave his life and ascended to heaven. Why? Because when we feel the pain of cutting the heart of our Savior, it's from that place that you're actually positioned to serve him. When you realize, church, that you can offer him absolutely nothing, That what your sins deserve, it's his grace and his mercy that even allows us into the room. Amen? It's his grace and his mercy that even allows your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. You don't have a pen to get your hand in heaven to write your name there. It's only through the blood of Jesus. Amen? It's only because of what Jesus had done for your life. When we feel the pain of cutting his heart, we are finally positioned to serve him. 
Until our encounters come into glorious contact with his love, forgiveness, and our unworthiness to even know him, we are finally postured to serve and love each other. We are finally in that place where we are able to fulfill the commission of God in our life. Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. It was from that moment that he was transformed for his future purpose. To go from a guy who denied him three times to standing up boldly on the day of Pentecost under the power of the Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel for the first time. The Bible says that Peter's sermon cut the hearts of the people that they asked, what shall we do to repent? What shall we do to repent? It was from that place, church, of knowing that he's not worthy to serve the Savior of the world that Peter was finally ready to serve in the ministry of reconciliation. See, this is the part of Scripture that those who have been reconciled can participate in. How many of you know what it means to be reconciled? That means that that you are in right standing with God. That means that you have come to Jesus fully knowing your sinful state, fully being aware of the fact that that you cannot step into his presence unless you are covered by the blood. And you can offer him absolutely nothing unless you are washed in the blood of Jesus that you might be made righteous and that your sins might be atoned for. We only have access to the Father through Jesus. And it's this part of scripture that, again, I say, those who have been reconciled, that's you have submitted yourself and surrendered yourself before the Lord and say, have me, Jesus. I know that I am a sinner in need of you, in need of your mercy and your grace. Those sins are reconciled then and only then can you participate in the ministry of reconciliation. The simple definition of to be being reconciled is to restore friendship or harmony. It's to settle or resolve the issue at hand. And this is the invitation that God has made to all of creation. Amen? Isaiah chapter 1 of verse 18 says this. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. You see, it's only those who have repented of their sin and have been washed in the blood that can go back and strengthen their brothers like Jesus told Peter. It's only from that place of having been reconciled back to God. Having been fully aware that you can do nothing without his power. Having been fully aware that at one time you were an enemy of God. Do you know that? Have we read that verse? Do we realize that church we were enemies of God? We weren't on his team. We were on the other team. We were opposing everything in him when we were living a lifestyle according to our flesh. We were opposing everything that is holy and righteous when we were living according to our own flesh and our own desires. But we were reconciled to him when we surrendered ourselves before him. And the scripture is telling us, let us settle the matter. The Lord is more interested in settling the matter than he is condemning people. Amen. 
Did you know the Lord is more interested in getting you into heaven than he is saying, I want everybody to go to hell. This is why the scripture is telling us. He knows full well that your sins are like scarlet, but he knows why he gave his son. He said, this is why I've given my son so that your sins that are like scarlet, they could be cleansed and be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they'll be made like wool. So that after you've come to that place of true forgiveness, you can go back and strengthen somebody else. You can go back and fulfill what he prayed over Peter's life. You can go back and strengthen your brothers. What did he mean by that? He was actually talking about that verse in John chapter 21. And you don't have to go there tonight, but just remember it. John chapter 21, it speaks about how Jesus was, was, was speaking. And he asked Peter the question, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And he says, you know I love you. He says, but Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. I said, Peter, do you love me? The first two times when he asked him, that word translates, the word love translates to phileo, which is like an earthly love. It's like I love pizza. Amen? I don't love pizza with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength, but I can say I love pizza, right? I say, well, I love, you know, Hayashi. It's like one of my favorite restaurants. I can say I love it from that sense and that it's a shallow love. It's just, it's more of a, of a, of a, of, of a word. It, it, it bears no meaning to the soul. But the last time that he asked Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? That word in, in that translation actually meant agape. That was an unconditional, endless love. So when he asked him the first time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, of course, you know I love you. Man, we're, we go way back, Jesus. Do you love me? He's like, of course. I'm still here, right? You know, like, he's like, no, no, no. Do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter was sincere the last time, and he said, then feed my sheep. There's an assignment for your life that has been reconciled to God. And the assignment that God has placed upon your life is not an assignment that we get to choose. Amen? It's only an assignment that you get to fulfill in surrender to the Lord. It's not something that you and I wake up and say, you know what? I want to be a pastor one day. Listen, we have no say-so in what God is going to do in and through our life. All we need to do is submit ourselves to him and come back to that place and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender to you, Lord. I am here, Lord, so that, Father, through my life, Lord, I might be a testimony, God, that I can go back, Lord, from this place of being reconciled and strengthen my brothers. Go back from this place, God, and offer something to their life. Feed the sheep. So here's the key. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. So from now on, we regard no one. Everybody say no one. From a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Did you know, church, that Jesus loves people but hates sin? Amen? I'll say it one more time. Do you know that Jesus loves people and hates sin? The church right now is known for hating people and, and I don't know, hating sin too. And the world loves sin and hates people. And this is completely backwards theology. This is not what Jesus has called us to do. And neither is it the way that he modeled his life in grace and forgiveness towards your sins. Amen? 
How many of you know that if it was backwards, if Jesus hated people and loved sin, then none of us would be born again. If Jesus was, 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 has this theology that we've been living out, he, we wouldn't be where we are today. But did you know, church, that we are not supposed to demonize people? Two of us, three of us got that. We are not supposed to demonize people. People are not the enemy. There is an enemy, and his name is Satan. And he is eternally defeated by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So when we go back from being reconciled in our own sin back to that place of strengthening our brothers, we don't go back to, to beat somebody else up with the gospel. We don't go back to, to smack them over the head with the Bible. We come back from a place to know that they are living their way, their life in a way where the enemy has a, a bondage on their life and we are sent to unlock the door. We are sent to unlock the chains. We have the answer to the chain breaker. We know it is in whom we trust. And so we are supposed to love people and show them who Christ is because Christ's love breaks the chains of the enemy over their life. Amen. Amen. A worldly point of view looks at Christians and Christ followers as the enemy. I said a worldly point of view looks at believers as the enemy. And a worldly view in the church, also known as religion, would view people as condemned, irreparable, lost, and without hope and beyond reconciliation. But somebody say this with me. If God, for, if God could forgive me, how much more do I owe the world his love? If God could forgive you, how much more do we owe the world his love? If God could forgive us of our sins, how much more do we owe the world his love? 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, we know this scripture. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Amen. Verse 18. This is a humble reminder. All this is from God. Everybody say it with me. All this is from God. One more time. All this is from God. It's not because of our works. It's not because of our service to the church and ministry. It's only because of the work that Jesus did for us. It goes on to say, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. Wow, that's good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 says this. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Let me stop there for a second. Many of you remember that scripture that says that his peace surpasses all understanding, right? But his love surpasses all knowledge. His love is so big, church. It is so immeasurable that you cannot fathom his love. We cannot understand it. This is a great mystery that Paul, you know, prayed together. He says that we might, though, somehow be able to grasp this concept. This is what Paul was telling the church. He's saying, I hope that you can kind of wrap your minds around this. How wide 
how long, how deep, how high the love of Jesus actually is. He says this, he says, and to know this love surpasses knowledge. You know, church, that I get broken in my heart of thinking about his love for me. Just think about his love for you just for a moment. Just begin to think about the way that you know that he loves you. The way that you know that when you spoke ill about somebody, that his blood is more than enough to cover that sin. The way to know that how you sometimes live hypocritical lives inside the church. Don't even want to look up your brother or sister in the eye that he knows the very depths of your heart and yet he still loves you. To think of how deep that he understands your life. He knows the inner workings of your heart, church. The things that no man or woman has ever seen about your life, he knows about you. He was there. He was there, and yet he loves you. Do you know, church, that his love does the unthinkable? His love does the unthinkable. He would reach to the highest mountain to save one. And he would go to the deepest part of, of, the, of the muck and sin to reach just one. He would call this young man to travel 2,000 miles across the United States to have a divine appointment with me here at an altar when I was 15 years old. You cannot tell me that God does not love me. You cannot tell me that he does not love you. You cannot tell me that even in your worst state and condition that somehow to think that God's love is somehow beyond reaching you is, is completely false. His love goes to unimaginable lengths to reach somebody. His love digs into the deepest places of our heart where nobody can see. His love is so great, it's as the scripture says, it's able to separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. I don't even know what that looks like. As far as your eye could see, to the east and as far as your eye could see to the west the Bible says that he's able to separate your sins as far as the east is from the west and this loving God invites us church to co-labor with him he invites us to come into an agreement into a posture into a place where we can fulfill his work in the earth 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 says this so we are therefore Christ's ambassadors we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Write this down in your notes if you're taking notes tonight. That phrase, Christ ambassador, means this. I want you to hear this language. It means that we are diplomatic agents of the highest rank sent to represent King Jesus. And we are authorized to speak on his behalf. We are the voice of heaven to the earth, invested with royal power through the name of Jesus and the authority of his blood. You are an ambassador of heaven. You are an ambassador of Jesus. I'll read it one more time. We are his diplomatic agents of the highest rank sent to represent King Jesus. King Jesus, and it says that we are authorized to speak on his behalf. 
We are the voice of heaven to the earth, invested with royal power through the name of Jesus and the authority of his blood. So I want to read that verse again. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though, listen to me carefully, as though God were making his appeal through us. Everybody say as though God was making his appeal through me. As God was making his appeal through me. Did you know, church, that you were created with a purpose? Amen. You were created with a destiny to be a vessel that makes appeals to the people of this world on behalf of God. As an individual that makes appeals to people that are dying in sin, that are hurt, that are lost, that are broken, we have a a commission to make appeals to the people of this world on the behalf of God because it's the reconciled that operate in the ministry of bringing those who are lost to reconciliation through the blood of Jesus. He goes on to say at the end of verse 20, he says, so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He says, so God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, part of reconciliation with God in heaven is being reconciled to his people on earth. Can somebody say amen? I don't think you caught that. Part of reconciliation with God in heaven is being reconciled to his people on earth. Matthew chapter, 20, chapter 5, verse 23 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, do business with the individual that has a beef with you or you have a beef with them. Don't be too proud to simply just walk past them and wait for them to kiss your feet and and bow down to you and ask you and beg you to be their friend again and ask you to to forgive them for, for anything. No, 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 no. If you know is what the scripture says. If you're offering your gift and you know that there's something Maybe it was somebody that you looked at at the wrong way. Maybe you judged them before they walked in the room and you don't even know them. We need to purge those things from our hearts, church. We need to purge those things out of our life and we need to be reconciled to them. Before Jesus laid down his life, he said, Father, forgive them. Before his blood was finally spilled, he said, Father, forgive them. And that means that before we go forth in ministry and operating in the gifts of the Spirit, in humility, we need to say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive our parents if they weren't the best parents. Father, forgive our siblings if they spoke ill about us. Father, forgive our neighbors. Forgive our coworkers. Forgive our accusers. Forgive our condemners. Forgive our abusers and our causers of deep pain. Because we have to ask God to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is what the scripture teaches us. In other words, we must ask God to forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. In order to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, we must be reconciled to God. And I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us tonight. Because there could be somebody in your heart right now that every time you see him, your blood begins to boil. You need to forgive him. 
I'm going to say it again. The mercy of God, you need to forgive them. You need to forgive what they said or did or how they treated you. It doesn't matter which way it went. It doesn't even matter if they know or don't know that they have offended you. You need to forgive them. And tonight is the time to be reconciled to God. This could mean that you need to forgive somebody who's present or not present. But in your heart, you decide to forgive them. This could mean that before you offer yourself in humble service to God, you first need to have your relationship with the Father reconciled.